Good morning, everybody. So we're in our last week of our series about setting noble goals for the new year. And we're talking about this because the Bible encourages us to do so. Isaiah, for example, said, The noble man makes noble plans, and by noble plans he stands. And we began last week with our theme verses in Philippians chapter 3. You saw them on the screen or some of them on the screen. I want to go back to that passage and read it with you again to set the context of what we're talking about today, all right? So Philippians 3, beginning at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And I want to say a few things by way of review. The background of this text that we just read is an athletic metaphor of a runner. And Paul is illustrating the great value of knowing and serving Jesus. And his point in Philippians 3 is to press on toward the goal of knowing Christ and living for him. And we looked last week at four principles for pursuing this prize, to use his terminology. Four principles. If you missed that message, I'd encourage you to go on the website or use the app and listen to that this week because that message and this one about pursuing financial peace really go hand in hand. Here's those four principles very briefly. Okay? First, we need a humble dissatisfaction. A humble dissatisfaction. Although the Apostle Paul had been a Christian for some 30 years when he wrote these words to his friends in Philippi, he was admitting that, that he hadn't obtained perfection, that he wasn't to the spiritual level of maturity that he hoped. So listen, it is a healthy thing, a healthy thing for us to be hungry to keep growing spiritually. The opposite would be to be complacent and to be content with exactly where we're at spiritually, without a desire to keep growing. So it's a good thing for us to be poor in spirit, to use our Lord's words, to have a humble dissatisfaction that motivates us to press on in our relationship with Jesus. That's the place we need to start. We all need to start there, to recognize our need to keep growing. But we also need to have a holy devotion. Paul said, I press on to make it my own. And that word press on implies an all-out effort, an aggressive commitment, such as a runner would have who is pursuing a gold medal. Paul's saying, I'm devoted to this thing called spiritual maturity to becoming more like Jesus Christ. And so should we be. And then Paul said, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. And here Paul's describing a healthy determination that he had. He understood that he needed to let go of his past, his mistakes, his sins, even his accomplishments. And he needed to put all of his focus on the prize, on the race of the Christian life, And living to hear Christ say to him, well done, good and faithful servant. We all need that kind of healthy determination to keep us focused in life. 
And finally, Paul said, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And there Paul describes a heavenly direction he had set his attention on. He's describing his relentless pursuit of Jesus, his commitment to know Christ and to serve him faithfully. And then we said last week, you know, one of the best tools that we have to do this is setting godly goals. And so we looked last week at 10 practical steps to setting goals. Step one was to start with prayer. Goal setting is all about discovering God's plans, God's goals for our life. So we obviously need to start by asking him what they are. Start with prayer. Step two is to get ideas from others. Because the example and the input of others is invaluable for setting noble goals. And step three was to write our goals in three categories. Three, or excuse me, seven categories. And the purpose here is to achieve a good balance in our life. There's no use in being real strong or real healthy in one of those categories and sort of blowing it in the rest. So we talked about seven categories to set those goals in. Number one is, in phys- is physical goals. Number two is emotional goals. Number three is education and intellectual goals. Number four is relational and family goals. And then vocational and career goals. And then spiritual goals. Those were the first six we talked about last week. And there's, by the way, various spiritual goals I'd suggest to you here. Valuable things like Bible reading and prayer. And worshiping together and small group participation. And giving and serving. And speaking of serving, we have a Pathways ministry table out in the gathering area today with some information about the needs that we have right now for the Pathways ministry. That's greeters and ushers and security team and, and those kind of ministries. So please stop by the table after the service and, and learn more about that. And then finally, category number seven to write goals in is our financial and stewardship goals. Financial and stewardship goals. And I want to zero in on this area that most people are also concerned about setting goals in. And I want to take some extra time here today because this is such a vital area in our spiritual development. In other words, this is at the very core a discipleship matter. This is all about how we follow Jesus as his disciples. Jesus was never afraid to talk about money. In fact, he spoke about money more than any other topic in the New Testament. And he understood this very strong connection between our hearts and our wallets. So let me ask you a couple of questions as well. Are your finances set and in order today? Do you have a budget and a plan for the new year? Know exactly how you're going to use your money. Are you in debt? Do you have stress about your finances or do you have a strong sense of peace about them? So I like to talk about this about once a year. So this is sort of a family chat today. If you're a guest with us today, we love the fact that you're here, but understand I'm sort of talking to the church family right now, okay? We love that you're here, but please keep your wallet in your pocket. Don't feel, you know, just this is not really for you other than to understand what God teaches about this, all right? And Jesus had a lot to say about this. He spoke to the matter of financial worry, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount. And after talking about the tendency that we have to to worry about having enough money, 
Jesus said this. He said, the Gentiles seek after all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And then this is what he said in conclusion. Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Here's a key truth, and I'd love for you to jot this down on your sermon notes. To experience financial peace, I must adopt God's priorities for my life. As I line up my life with God's priorities, with God's plan for my money, I will experience his peace in my life. Such a good thing. Instead of peace, many people have anxiety about their finances. They have anxiety about the future as they look ahead. In fact, I heard this week that the average American household has $9,000 in balance on their credit cards and that they will end up spending something like $30,000 because of interest to pay off that $9,000. Another stat I heard recently is that the average American lives on 110% of their income. That's just the average, all right? In other words, they spend 10% more than they make each month. And of course, you can't sustain that for long. And all of that produces stress and worry. So a fantastic goal for 2019, for all of us, that it applies to would be to get out of debt, right? Doesn't that sound like a great goal that would be exciting to realize, to be completely out of debt? And what that really means, we're not, we're, this is not a New Year's resolution kind of thing. We're talking about developing habits in our life in order to experience God's plan for us and God's peace in our lives. Now, over the years, I've used different resources to help people with their finances. And the one that we have settled on here at Lake City in the recent years is Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University that Randy was talking about. I love that ministry, Financial Peace University, and I love what Dave Ramsey calls the 70% principle of lasting wealth. The 70% principle. It's a principle that comes right out of Dave's materials, and you can read it in his book, for example, Total Money Makeover. And the principle is to learn to live on 70% of what you earn each month. Very biblical advice. And again, it comes right out of Financial Peace University. And here's how it goes. The first 10% of our income goes to God. The first 10% to God, the first part of whatever we earn goes right back to him. Proverbs 3 says this. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So notice that word, first fruits. Most of us aren't farmers, so that might not be completely clear. And what that means is right off the top, the first part. So the firstborn of your herds, the first part of all your crops. Right. So how about the first of our income? And the point is, don't wait until the end of the month and see what's left over. It's to trust God by giving him the first 10% and to let him make our budget work from there. Now, guys, I hope that you know the Bible well enough, and I hope that you know us at Lake City well enough to know that we don't teach that if you give money to God that he will make you rich. Okay, we do not believe what the prosperity gospel teachers say. 
that you give so that God will give back to you more. That's not the point here. Okay? God always blesses our obedience, but not necessarily financially. But we're still to give him the first 10% of everything he provides. Sometimes he does bless financially. Sometimes that means other kinds of blessings, though. But that is not to be our motivation for giving. I think God's just being honest, and he's telling us, you know, when you give, when you obey, I'm going to bless you for that. And God does choose to bless some people financially. Other times God blesses to choose us with family or friends. He blesses us with a great church family, or he blesses us by giving us gifts and abilities. He allows us to make a significant difference in the world for him, in other words. There's all kinds of ways God blesses his people. All of that aside, God tells us to return to him the first 10% that he gives us. That's where we start. And then the second 10% of our income goes to retiring debt and to an emergency fund. To debt and emergency fund. See, God's word warns us consistently against debt. For example, Proverbs 22.7 says, The borrower is the slave to the lender. Therefore, a noble goal is to eliminate debt in our lives. And beyond that, to even have an emergency fund just in case. And then the third 10% of our income goes to savings and investing. Scripture also encourages that. For example, Proverbs 13. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Now, obviously, if you devote the top 30% of your income to these three things we've just talked about, you have 70% left, which is why this is called the 70% principle of lasting wealth. The key to all of this, after we've done those three 10%, is learning to live on the 70% left over. But that's pretty rare today, honestly. That's pretty rare. And in case you're wondering, you know, how in the world could I do that? I suggest that you attend Dave Ramsey's class, Financial Peace University. His book is great. His class is even greater. So I'd encourage you, if you've not been to that, to do that. Now, before I go any further, I want you to hear a brief testimony this morning about Financial Peace Unity University from Adam and Jessica. So they shared it last night. We're going to see it by video right now. Let's enjoy that. I'm uh, Adam Bazanson. Uh, this is my beautiful pregnant wife, Jessica. Um, we're going to share a little testimony with you. I had to write it down because Jim said I was fired if I didn't get this right. So here we go. Uh, the first time I heard about Financial Peace University, uh, was about a year prior to us actually attending the class. Jess did exactly what Dave Ramsey says not to do. Um, she attended the class by herself, came home, started telling me exactly what we were doing right, wrong, and how we were going to move forward with our finances. Uh, Dave said this, Dave said that. Conversation wasn't very well received because I had been managing the finances for pretty much 12 years of marriage. Uh, we went to re-engage and worked on our communication <laughs> and we figured out that we should look at Financial Peace University together. Re-engage is not a prerequisite, <laughs> but 
It definitely helps you guys get on the same page and move in the right direction together. I heard about FBU through Lake City a year prior and attended the first class by myself. Eager and motivated by Dave's enthusiasm, I ran home and gently talked to my husband <laughs> about realigning our financial goals. When I first approached the subject of, atten of attending FPU, Adam was not receptive. Up until this point in our marriage, Adam managed our finances. I wanted to be more involved in our financial planning to ensure that we were set for life after the military. Uh, we started class with the Madsons right after the new year. Um, and at the conclusion of the first class, we found that Jess and I, for the first time in 12 years, were on the same page as far as our finances go. And we started working through Dave's seven baby steps. We realized we, we had to become better stewards of our finances and that God is in control of it all. The more we tracked, the more we had to give and save. Our behavior towards money changed, especially when we stopped using credit cards. We became more aware of, more aware of where we were spending our money and had meaningful conversations about what was truly important to our family. Uh, our behavior, we established an emergency fund and freed ourselves from all non-mortgage debt. FPU has prepared us for life's unexpected events more than ever. For instance, we had a bathtub that we needed replaced. So instead of using a credit card, we used our emergency fund. We also looked at how we spent our free time together when planning trips. Instead of booking a trip and swiping it on the credit card, we would actually save up for it and plan. This didn't mean that we could take more trips in a year, but it meant that the trips meant a lot more. There's also peace in knowing that when you come home from a trip, you don't have to still be paying for that trip. So over the course of a year, we paid off uh, $55,000 in loans and credit cards, closed three credit card accounts, Saved around $10,000. We saved more, but it, it, we had emergencies. Uh, but most importantly, we didn't incur any new debt. Uh, we didn't think we were in any sort of financial trouble going into FPU, but it totally changed the way uh, that we handled our money. So now we hold monthly, monthly budget meetings, and we are each other's accountability partners. We tend to do better at everything when we synchronize our goals and we hold each other accountable. We highly recommend anyone considering FPU to take FPU. It's, it's amazing to, to learn how to manage God's money and the blessings that, that come back. Um, nine Monday nights, will it'll absolutely change your life. So it doesn't matter what seasonal life you're going through, uh, single, married, uh, retired, school-aged. Um, if, if you have debt, I think, FPU will help you get through it. And as Pastor Jim already said, Proverbs 22.7, the, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Thank you. Give him a hand. Go ahead. And thank them when you see them. They did a super job. Again, one of the values of Financial Peace University is that simple step-by-step -step plan to help you achieve your financial goals, which in the end gives you much more financial peace. When all of this, all of this leads to the question, 
that I want to spend the rest of our time on today, and that is, how can I grow as a faithful steward? How can I grow in my stewardship? It's common for people to ask me questions about giving and stewardship, things like, you know, what does God teach? What does the Bible say? What does God expect from me about giving? Does the Bible really teach tithing for today? And so I want to answer by surveying a few verses on this subject with you. And I want to start with this one in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. Excel also in this gracious act of giving. To excel means to become excellent at something. So how do we become excellent at giving? Well, we have to learn it. It's not automatic. We have, to, we have to develop new skills. We have to stretch ourselves. We have to purpose to grow as givers. And that's where setting goals is so useful. Paul calls giving a gracious act here, which means that we need God's help to pull it off. We can't do this by ourselves. Nobody, nobody honors God in their giving unless God is at work in their hearts. And so giving really is a totally grace thing. God gives us the desire, and he gives us the ability to do it. But we have to make a choice as well. We have to aim for some discomfort if we really want to excel at this grace of giving. To help with that, I want you to see four levels when it comes to our giving. And here's the first one. Call it the beginning level. The first thing we do is we return an initial gift to God. That's where it all starts. You make that first gift to God and begin honoring God with your finances. Most of you are already doing that, I'm sure. Okay, but perhaps some people do need to start there. Here's how Jesus spoke about giving. This is from Acts chapter 20. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than receive. I heard this past week that in an average church, roughly 40% of the people who attend don't give at all. Now, I really doubt it's that high here at Lake City, but I honestly don't have a clue. The point is, for many people who go to church, the place to begin is simply to get started somewhere. Make a donation to the Lord's work. Start being part of what God is doing in the world. Because God blesses you when you do that. And almost anyone can do that. It's more blessed to give than to receive. So start somewhere. The second level of giving is when you become systematic in it. You become a regular giver. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul wrote this. Now about the collection for the Lord's people, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. So Paul writes here about the weekly offering, which is part of our weekly worship of God. The offering is not like the credits at the end of a movie, all right? So it's a very important part, an active part of our worship. We do happen to take it at the end, but that's because we also want to receive the communication cards. We want to know that you're here and how to pray for you and answer and respond to any questions that you have. Now, two words summarize Paul's teaching here. 
First, our giving is to be systematic. He says whenever we have an income, we're to set, it, set aside part of it to God. So it's systematic the way we do it. Personally, the way that uh, Jackie and I do that is we use electronic fund transfer. So uh, that simply means that each time or twice a month, we get a, a check from the church and the check gets, uh, or the church gets an electronic fund transfer from the Kenningtons. If you want to learn more about that, it's explained very easily in your, uh, the little giving envelopes in the uh, chair pocket in front of you. So, but systematic is the point, however you choose to do that. The other word that you can write down is proportional. The Bible talks about giving in keeping, that's in keeping with our income. So it's proportional. And by the way, this is true for all ages. If you have an income of any kind, this is for you. Even if it's from an allowance or from babysitting or from mowing lawns or whatever it is, this is for you. All right. This brings us to a third level of giving. And I call it the obedience level, where you return the full tithe to God. The full tithe. The first two levels are good starting places, but they're not really full obedience. Not really full obedience. Now, the real need here is to define this word tithe. And the Hebrew word tithe that we have read a couple of times literally means one-tenth. So a full tithe equals 10%. Tithing refers to giving back to God the first 10% of our income. And by the way, why would God ask us to do that? Obviously, he doesn't need our money. So why would he tell us to do that? Well, let's look at scripture, okay? Deuteronomy 14 puts it like this. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. Tithing is intended to train us to put God first. It's a regular reminder that all we have belongs to him. Okay? Tithing gives us perspective. It's a symbol of our dependence on God and our gratitude for all he's done for us. Let's consider another passage about tithing. This is from Malachi chapter 3. And it says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I love the fact that God invites us to test him. He says, put me to the test. You see, I believe God wants to show us his greatness. Listen, God wants to prove to you that he can provide all that you need. And the way we do that is we start by giving him a full tithe. Okay? We bring the first 10% to him and let him prove his faithfulness to meet all of our needs. So here's a suggestion that I have for you today. If you aren't already tithing, I suggest that you take a four-month tithe challenge. A four-month tithe challenge. Do what God says here. Test me and see. And see if you don't experience more financial peace in your life. And see if it doesn't help you get your finances in order. 
And by the way, I say four months because it usually takes about four months to kind of see things fall into place. At first, it probably raises the anxiety level a little bit, and then you see how God does provide, and you begin to get things paid off, and you see how God is faithful, how you stop depending on the credit card to make your payments work. So what my challenge is is this. You say, God, with your help, I'm going to give a full tithe to you as I move to this full obedience level. Now, sometimes people ask the question, do you really believe tithing is for today? I thought tithing was an Old Testament thing, a law, the Old Testament law. Why do, you, why do you, we do that today? There's many reasons for that. One of the strongest is what Jesus said in Matthew 23. Here's what he said. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. In context, Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees. They were asking him questions. The Pharisees were meticulous tithers. I mean, they even tithe down to a tenth of the herbs that grew in their gardens. He says, yes, you should tithe, keep doing that, but you should also go beyond that and show mercy and show love to people and do things that are more, even more important. In fact, long before the Old Testament law was given to Moses, there were Old Testament believers who gave 10% back to God. So it was not just a, it's not a, a law thing. It was even before the law. Abraham was one of them. Jacob is another example. So if you have been a regular giver, but you haven't been tithing, I suggest that you make your goal, one goal, in 2019 to do so. That's taking, for you, that would be taking the next step. There's one more level that I'd like to consider with you, and it's what I call the peak level, which is to become a generous giver, a Christ-like, to develop Christ-like generosity in your life. So the Bible speaks of tithes, yes, but it also speaks of voluntary offerings and free will offerings that are over and above the tithe. This means that uh, God wants to grow us in our giving so that we learn to go beyond just the minimum. Start at 10%, but make it your goal over the years of your life and as you grow to give 11% and then 12% and then 15% and so on. My friend Randy Alcorn puts it like this. He says, tithing is the training wheels of giving. Here's the con greater context. Tithing isn't the ceiling of giving, it's the floor. It's not the finish line of giving, it's just the starting blocks. Tithes can be the training wheels to launch us into the mindset, skills, and habits of grace giving. So if you want a great book, that really talks about this and many other areas of financial stewardship and how we use our money and possessions, this book would be it as well. This is more of a theological, biblical study. Randy Alcorn wrote the book uh, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. And I'd recommend that highly. But what we're talking about right now is a discipleship issue. That's why I'm taking some time to talk about it with you today. This is not a sermon that I preach once a year to raise more money for our church. We're doing good as a church, okay? This is important because Jesus said it's important. Jesus said our growth, our discipleship is directly related to our stewardship. And so the goal in our stewardship 
is to develop a lifestyle of Christ-like generosity. Christ-like generosity. God wants us to develop a heart of generosity so that we become more and more like Jesus Christ. By the way, one myth about generosity is that you have to be rich to be generous. Maybe you've caught yourself thinking that. You have to be rich in order to be generous. There's a story in the New Testament that, that, G, that is recorded for us when Jesus and the disciples were at the temple in Jerusalem. And a widow comes along and she deposits two coins into the treasury. Jesus said to his disciples, did you see that? She gave more than all the rest of them. We call that the widow's mites. And the point is this. She was exceedingly generous even though her gift was very small. You don't have to be rich to be generous. So there's many verses about generosity in the Bible, both Old and New Testament. One of my favorites is 2 Corinthians 9.6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And in the context of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul's talking about giving. In fact, he uses Jesus Christ as the ultimate example of generosity. How Jesus laid down his life for us to die for our sins. And then he says that we are to show that same kind of generosity as well. Generosity is where is giving over and above the tithe comes into play. Okay. One thing that I appreciate about Lake City Community Church, one thing I appreciate about you as a church family, is that you do this so well. I hear about all that you do, not by name, but as a church, I see your generosity on display all the time. I want to define that word generosity, by the way. Generosity is the planned, intentional, designated investment of my personal financial assets. It's something that we plan ahead, that we're very intentional about. And we don't have time to completely unpack that. But that's something to think about, what, what generosity really is. And I have seen you as a church family over the last few years give nearly $2 million to our Transform Building Fund, over and above our regular tithes. And you give generously to missions and to the Benevolent Fund and to just any other project we set before you. For that and for all the ways you are so generous, I just want to say thank you and well done. You're amazing. All right, here's my closing question for you. Which of these four levels are you at in your stewardship today? Which of these four levels are you at in your own personal life? My observation is that people who are at the third or the fourth level, the obedience or the peak giving level, are less likely to be in debt and much more likely to have financial peace. And beloved, that's exactly what we hope and pray for you. So may I challenge you today to set as a goal for the new year that you will excel in the gracious act of giving and that you will uh, get your finances organized according to God's plan and ask yourself the question, what steps do I need to take now and this year for that to happen? Let's talk about some application as I close. There's four next steps. Number one is I will write or refine my 2019 goals. 
I'm saying set aside some time this weekend or maybe this coming week to uh, write down your goals or finish them, refine them if you have already started. Okay? You might want to add something about finances and exactly how you're going to do that. Write or refine your 2019 goals. Next step two is I will sign up for a small group. Small groups begin this coming week. Make the choice. If you're not already involved, make the choice to be part of a small group. We handed the, uh, the, the uh, sign-up forms down earlier. You can sign up there and drop that in the offering bag. You can stop by the Faith at Home Center uh, after service and find out more information there. But choose to be involved in a small group. Next step three is I will sign up for Financial Peace University. If you haven't already taken that course, I suggest that you sign up today and show up tomorrow night. Uh, there's an explanation in the bulletin of how you can sign up for Financial Peace University. The, uh, email, e- just email Randy and Becky Madsen and, or just show up tomorrow night at 6.30 in the gym. And then finally, number four is I will take the next step in my stewardship. I also suggest today that you identify where you're at, and if you're not already at the top, that you take the next step toward that, toward God's plan for your life. Identify and ask God to help you step up to the next level. So I'm going to give you just a moment to pray silently and talk to the Lord about what we've just talked about, and then I'll close this in prayer. But would you bow with me, please? Dear Father, talking about money and finances and giving prompts all sorts of emotions in us. But first of all, we just want to say thank you for all that you have graciously given to us. Lord, thank you for your good gifts. You're such a good father to us. You know all that we need even before we do. And you've promised to meet all of our needs. And so we say thank you. Lord, today we just want to say how great you are. We want to acknowledge you are an amazing God. And we thank you that you desire to show us your greatness and your faithfulness, your power to be able to meet our financial needs. Lord, your word says that you created the stars and the planets, everything in the universe you created, you spoke it into being, and you created each one of us as well. And you know us intimately. And you desire a relationship with us and for us to experience your power in our lives. So, Father, that requires us to make some choices, to choose to live by your principles, to put you first. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to trust you even more here, that you'd grow us in our faith, that you'd move us forward in our progress as disciples to become more like your son. We want to experience even greater peace in our life, especially in this area. So we ask for your help. And then, friend, if you've never trusted the Lord Jesus, Jesus is the ultimate example of generosity because in he sacrificed his life. He gave his very life for us. And the actual, actually, the place to begin in your relationship with God 
is not giving at all, but it's receiving, receiving God's gift of salvation. And you can do that by simply praying, and I invite you to pray silently in your heart today. Say, Jesus, I believe you died for me. I turn from my sin, and I receive your gift of forgiveness. Thank you for dying on the cross and rising again three days later to forgive me. And today I receive that gift. We love you and thank you, Lord. We ask for your help in all of these things. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus, our Savior. And everybody agreed and said, Amen. Amen.